Welcome to Sivako, The Road to Avatar. I am Sean Alexander, and I will be your guide to the world of Pandora and beyonds. Uh, today, we are definitely going beyond because we're not going to be visiting the world of Avatar too much today. But uh, outside of that, I do have a special guest with me who will be joining me as we explore a different James Cameron film today. And uh, special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks. So my name is Russell and I've popped over from the Not Just For Kids uh, movie podcast to talk about an amazing James Cameron sequel, Aliens. Oh, I thought you were going to go for, Pan- <laughs> for Parada 2. Darn. <laughs> <laughs> a film I've yet to watch, actually. I was tempted to watch it for this, but I've not watched the first one. And I thought watching two Piranha films for a chat about Aliens was a bit much. You know what? I was kind of considering it. I was like, "That's the uh, the one James Cameron film I haven't really watched is Piranha Two, and I mean, I'm really count, looking forward to watching it with someone." He, he's like disowned it, and and didn't the producer kind of finish it? Wasn't he ill for most of it? So, like, does it I, count? I think I've heard all sorts all sorts of stories. <laughs> <laughs> um. So before we do get onto the uh, the main topic of aliens, uh, I do want to ask you a couple Avatar questions because obviously this is an Avatar podcast. Uh, the first of which is, when did you first see Avatar? Yes, I I, mu- I must have seen it pretty soon after it came out. I definitely saw it in the cinema. I definitely saw it around when it was released, maybe either the weekend of or the next weekend, because I remember the phenomenal hype of the film. I remember it being talked about for months and the build-up of, was it going to be a hit? Was this another folly from Cameron? I say another folly. He's never had a folly, but all of his films seem to have that kind of like, Six months beforehand, we get stories of how his films are just kind of nightmares. And then it and then it came out, made all the money. And I remember that Oscars, where is that versus The Hurt Locker? Uh, yeah, so I saw this when it first came out. And I've maybe seen it once or twice since. I haven't watched it that much since, but I'm going to go back to it before the new one comes out. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think it's one of those ones that has a, a place in everyone's mind where you can kind of remember like when you were where it was as a person when you watched it originally or certainly in that time period when it came out and for me <laughs> the funny thing was is I actually remembered that um it was the first time I saw like a teacher outside of school and I, he was in the same screening as me and I was like this is a bit weird <laughs> uh, it's clearly like that was the first time I was like oh this is a film with like that wide of an appeal yeah, it's weird when you see like adults in their real world. But yeah, I remember everyone watching this. And I've still got friends who love it. I've still got friends who talk about it. I've got one friend in particular who's very excited for the new one. Mm. And uh, that will take us on to... Actually, you know what? I'll skip forward to the... Um, what? How do you feel about the next movie, The Way of Water? How are you? What's your excitement level at? Um, I am in very curious about it because basically this film has been in production for probably the two, three months after the release of Avatar. There's been maybe even talk before Avatar came out of the sequel. And until very recently, we had no footage, no shots from it. Well, very few shots. There's some behind the scenes stuff. And it's just been this work for so long that I'm just entirely curious of what it's going to be like, of what it's going to be, of what it's going to feel like. Obviously, it's going into Cameron's kind of obsession with water which there's a little bit in Aliens, but not a huge amount. But yeah, I am very curious about it. And I'm very, I'm not sure if I'm excited yet because we've only had the small teaser, but I feel I might be lulling myself into the trap that I'm kind of 
under anticipating a James Cameron film, which I shouldn't do because all of his films are really great, are really fascinating, and are some of the best blockbusters ever made. So, yeah, I'm not quite, my excitement level's not quite super high yet, but also my excitement levels for films is kind of broken since the pandemic because of all the films that have been kicked back and kicked back and kicked back. I still want Mission Impossible 7, and I've been excited for that for years now. So I've kind of learned to temper my excitement slightly, but whatever Cameron has, I'll be very excited to see what it is. Yeah. And on that note as well, I'm. you said that you hadn't seen uh, Avatar in a while. Is there still a moment from that film that sticks out to you? I distinctly remember that bit where the the lead first flies the dragon things. I forget the name of what they're called, but... Uh, he... Jake Sully and uh, an Ikron or a Banshee. <laughs> yeah, when he... Remember that sequence, there's a lot of them and he first flies them. And I guess just that kind of feel of the film of that that immersive cgi and i think what i most appreciate about avatar is that the cgi is incredible and it also points where we've gone slightly wrong with cgi and that a lot of cgi now there's a lot of it but a lot of it isn't great again like we seem to have reverted back to where we were before avatar whereas avatar is this immersion into the cgi created world that only someone like cameron could do as well as he does so that's what I hope for in the sequel, and that's what I remember most about the original is that it is this world built around you, but built on a computer screen, and it is entirely you're entirely part of it. Mm. That's a really good point, and I think that also kind of leads a little into the film we're talking about, Aliens, in terms of immersing you in that world and making you feel fully involved in it. Um, obviously, with Aliens, he's stepping into someone else's world. Mm. Um, uh, before that really Scott did Alien and it's a you know it's quite the change around uh, the swap from Alien to Aliens I would say there are a lot of like visual similarities in terms of the aesthetic but I also see a lot of, a lot of changes in what he James Cameron sometimes brings to that and I think that's a lot of uh, visceral like you feel the dirt <laughs> in your fingers <laughs> you, you feel the the well in the case of aliens the uh the acid blood dripping on you and, yeah absolutely uh, you get a lot of the world you get a lot of just how terrible that planet is there on that just how unpleasant it is. you get the rain you get the storm you get the the rocks and then you get that it's quite a cold place and that is perhaps even more than in alien because in an alien it's just a brief visit and it's just this other world that they drop onto have a terrible time on and then return to their spaceship whereas in this because so much of our action is on that planet is on the aliens world i mean it's not their world i mean we maybe might talk about prometheus or the extended law of of alien but at this point there is much more of an immersion into the aliens environment which is done so well yeah and you know what? I think that's actually a good place to start. You mentioned about there is a, a big law to the Alien franchise now, which um, I'm sure at the beginning when they weren't really planning on it to grow <laughs> and keep going to the to the rate that it has. Um, where would you rank Aliens within the uh, the Alien uh, law and franchise? Oh goodness! I mean, um, where would I rank it? I mean, it, so it's probably it's hard to pick. So. I might think Alien is a better film, but I'm going to put on Aliens if you have a choice between those two. And those two are by far and away 
the best films of the franchise of the linking franchise so the alien versus predator stuff of the games there's not really been a game that can match them i mean alien isolation was utterly terrifying but isn't as good as alien or aliens those are two of the greatest sci-fi horrors ever made for different reasons so like alien is this wonderful haunted house or slasher movie in space where there's a single threat taking out people that are completely unprepared for it and aliens is this amazing action film about this group of people who should be more prepared because one of them has experienced the threat they are more armed they are more trained they've all this they've all the stuff they need to survive and yet still they're destroyed by the threat and the threat is even bigger this time it's even more terrifying and that's i think why alien and aliens are above everything else because i mean i have a soft spot for something like alien resurrection but it's an odd film that i don't think is a good film but i have fun with it i think alien 3 has admirable qualities but is the grimmest possible watch and the theatrical cut is a mess and then you get into things like the two alien vs predator films which are not very good particularly the second one the second one is not very good at all and then we've got ridley scott's two prequels which have their fascinating moments are beautifully made but uh, get lost in their lore, get lost up in the lore. And I think that's the thing I like about Aliens and Alien is that there is a lore there. There are these aspects that are being explored, but it's not at the front and centre. And in Alien, it's just there is this terrifying presence on their ship. And they've seen something like the... Um, what's the name of it? The giant creature that they see the skeleton of in the Alien spaceship. But that's not explored. And it's just shown and we're terrified of the complete expanse of the cosmos that is being shown there and in aliens we get a bit more of how the alien works what the life cycle is of it we get introduced to the queen which is a great creation but that's it there's not like an explanation of what these things are they're just an alien presence and there's a corporation that quite like this alien to weaponize it but it's not anything more than that um yeah i think that kind of answers where they are so yeah i think aliens and alien are both five star films and i think alien is probably better but i think that aliens is the film i'll watch yeah i think i think that's hard to <laughs> go against really i think that's how i feel as well in terms of i, I probably do prefer alien as a film because I, I love the claustrophobia of it but then i rewatched aliens uh last week for this podcast and i was realizing that that claustrophobia is still in aliens it's just <laughs> basically times by a hundred <laughs> Because for every alien yeah. you think, think there's in the first one, there's 100 in the second one. Um, and actually, you know what? That brings me on to an interesting point uh, of how and uh, how the film got made. And I'm, I'm assuming you've heard the story of James Cameron and how he pitched this. <laughs> that there was a, a whiteboard or a blackboard with the word alien on it and he put an S next to it and then put, turned the S into a dollar sign. Uh, yeah. And that is <laughs> he has actually confirmed that is 100% true. Um <laughs> which I, I love about that. And honestly, who can blame him? He made Terminator and they looked at that and was like, yeah, just make make Terminator with aliens, I guess. <laughs> um, and it works perfectly. Like I love um, his vision for it in that he did, he took the original idea of Alien, which is, you know, that haunting the house aspect that you mentioned and just ramped it up. He was like, how can I make this more extreme? And by adding more aliens, but, not only having more aliens, but having like a 
an opposing force, the the Marines, who should be an enemy that they can, you know, have a <laughs> worthy battle against, and show the aliens are still able to like just outsmart them, outman them, and yeah, take over. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, as a approach to a sequel, this is a really great one. Like Alien is in in the same way that Jaws is, is a singular genre piece that kind of is defining in that there have been so many imitators since that try to do what it does and there's not really one like it beforehand there are tropes that it's taking from other films but there's not like this film you can point to that it is like whereas the jaws 2 is just a repeat of jaws but not as good aliens takes alien and ramps it up and says well that terrifying singular presence we have in the first one what if there are thousands of them and what if they are drones for something even scarier and what if we give you something that should lull you into a false sense of security as in marines who have lots of weapons and what if we at the halfway point show nope those marines are underprepared don't know what they're doing and they're going to get killed and it's just it's perfect and there's all these elements to it that comes from that singular adding an s to it but it's exploring what does it mean if there are a lot more of these uh, terrifying xenomorphs what does that actually mean for the film and and that might be why the series has struggled after this point to have a satisfying sequel because you're kind of stuck between the kind of intimate haunted house feel of alien and this feel of aliens which has those intimate moments has those moments where things are confined and terrifying so like their journey through the um air vents near the end where they're being chased by aliens and a couple of characters get killed in that manner but a lot of it kind of feels like this expansion out. So like that last 45 minutes where part of it is this journey into this hellish nuclear reactor to go and rescue Newt. And that's just a lot bigger than anything that Alien ever was because there are a lot more aliens. There are a lot more face huggers. There is the alien queen and it's about moving through several locations at once up into a falling apart platform to get onto a spaceship. So it's, on the mechanics of action scenes, there's a lot more here than there is an alien. Alien is a lot more a single person goes out to get the alien, is killed by the alien. And it does that several times really effectively. Yeah, definitely. And I saw a really interesting little quote, which was basically saying that, uh, and I think it, it, it might be from James Cameron himself, which said that aliens should be like a roller coaster. And I think that's really interesting in terms of a lot of the film discussion nowadays, which is all about how uh, like Marvel movies and things like that are becoming like a theme park. Um, and Aliens is the perfect example of being like a roller coaster because you are strapped into this awful adventure <laughs> where you are just thrown into the worst of it. You are seeing people torn apart, <laughs> stuck in the worst situations possible. And you just have to hold on tight and hope that you survive to the end. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's And if the first one is a haunted house um, ride and they are slow and it's about jumps, a roller coaster is fast and this film is fast. Like it does a lot. It has a similar kind of first hour. There's not a great deal of action to it, but there seems to be a lot more going on in the first hour of this than the first hour of Alien. It has to have us go through... Ripley being found, Ripley's kind of sort of trial slash investigation of what happened in the first film on, on the Nostromo. And then it has to have that get Ripley onto the spaceship and onto the planet. So it has to do slightly more 
but because Cameron is so good at this, he does it really quickly and things move at such a quick pace that we again reach the same point in both films at the same time, which is that humans make contact with the xenomorphs. And then from that point, Alien again is this slow, protracted, really tense affair where people are being killed one by one with lots of breaks. Whereas in Aliens, it feels like you're introduced to the xenomorphs again. They take out a load of the Marines. The Marines go back. There's obviously the space um, shuttle crashes. And then they have to prepare themselves for the next onslaught. And they get another wave of the aliens. And it feels like the film is just quicker. But not necessarily in its narrative beats, but in, in how it gets those narrative beats. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, as well, because we've got such a... a, a... Well, it's almost an entirely new cast for this one, aside from Sigourney Weaver. And having that fresh cast with all these new people, they immediately become very likeable. Well, certainly some of them, and some of them <laughs> certainly not so much. Uh, so, you know, there's certain characters like Hicks and uh, Newt who immediately you're like, I'm, I'm latching onto this person. I do not want to see this person die. Uh, and then others you're like, hey, let's maybe see this person die. <laughs> Sure, I mean, the ensemble is great. The new ensemble is great. And even uh, William Hope's Gorman, who is the most pathetic character for so much of the film, is redeemed at the end where he um, kills all the aliens and goes back to make sure Vasquez doesn't get horribly killed by them by blowing up a grenade. And she gets a great line that she's always hated him, which is hilarious. <laughs> that is a great but moment. <laughs> there's only really like one monstrous human in this, which is is something that I think uh, films that are about evil corporations could take. This is the alien films have always been about sort of a vaguely evil corporation and its relationship with its workers, but it, it works best in alien and aliens because it's not really at the forefront. It's just kind of there, but you get Burke who is just awful, but he's only awful by the end at the start. He's this really likable presence. He is uh, Ripley's, uh, I guess, connection back to the corporation, the human, side of that and he seems to be on her side and then obviously he's not and by the end he's a monster who's tried to impregnate Ripley and Newt and he then is runs away from the violence and locks himself in a room away from the people and of course Nalian's gonna get him that's just what happens in this franchise xenomorphs get you no matter what but yeah the rest of the cast I mean you've got Bill Paxton's Hudson who is a machine of one-liners until he's utterly terrified and pathetic and and so human and so fascinating. You've got uh, Jeanette Goldstein's Vasquez, who's really fun and fascinating and slightly problematic in that it's, you know, a white person uh, coloured up. But mm. her performance is fantastic. Her performance is fantastic. You've got Lance Herrickson's Bishop, who's kind of redeeming the android in this entire franchise by at first seeming like another suspicious figure, but then becoming the most loyal ally uh, Ripley has. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's Michael Bynes, Corporal Hicks, who is, I mean, what a great actor, what a great career he had. And what a high point this was that Corporal Hicks is just incredible in this. He's, he's funny. He's loyal. He's the leader. Who's not the leader. And he does it really well. And then finally, of course, there's Newt. And Newt is the most interesting, for me, inclusion here because it's a side to Ripley that's not explored in Alien. It's not explored in Alien that she has a daughter. 
it's it's almost not relevant in Alien, and that's the interesting thing that Alien was written as a kind of it was a male part, and it just they cast Sigourney Weaver in it. Whereas this, it kind of feeds explicitly into Ripley's feminine side, into what she's lost by being frozen for you know five decades in space, which is in the director's cut. The director's cut has that explicitly shown. Um, and yeah, Carrie Henn is as new is great. She's a really great child performer. It's a really great child performance that um, Cameron has got from her. And she's reused really well here as both kind of the the figure that has to be rescued as, as the damsel in distress, but also kind of the figure of knowledge and information, the same way that Ripley is at the start. Newt becomes that, because Newt has experienced the same thing that Ripley has, and says so that wonderful connection the two characters have that plays all the way to the finale, and she is the reason why the finale takes place. And yeah, so as a new cast, it's great. And also there's also the... I haven't mentioned them, but all the other uh, Colonel Marines who we meet in the first half, who we get to be immersed in their kind of their world, their training, their way of being like them on the ship. Once they've woken up, all that stuff, they're really well drawn. And it's just those ones don't make it through the first encounter with the Xenomorphs. Yeah, like I, I enjoy that we get like this whole group and we're like, you know, this this is a nice group. We enjoy them. Obviously, they're a bit rough around the edges but i like that about them because they're they're going into this thinking yeah what, whatever it's, it's an alien sure <laughs> you know I, and i think it's that sort of um <laughs> this sort of complacency where they're like oh look 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 at all these guns we got there's no chance this alien's gonna be able to take, <laughs> take us on um and then immediately they just all bite it so hard <laughs> so painfully that <laughs> as you said about uh Hudson, he's like delirious by the time we get to the second half of the movie because he's he's like this is never going to work. I'm I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And Bill Paxton just plays that so well. I, <laughs> there's some some look he has in his eye where you can see the madness just growing. <laughs> yeah, I should have mentioned also Al Matthews, who's the sergeant, who is really great in the first half. He's a cigar chewing delight. And then he gets taken out in the first encounter of the Xenomorphs. And he is great. Yeah, he felt like he was like straight out of a, like an Arnie film. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, could t- I could see him like uh, commando style <laughs> turning up like, oh, you've done a good job here. <laughs> uh, so outside of that, we sort of have, you know, we've been talking about a lot of it, which is that it's, you know, these well-trained uh, group who are very, in theory, have the weaponry and stuff like that and should be able to face off against the threat, no problem, and uh, just get them <laughs> their ass handed to them, basically. <laughs> and um, a lot of people have drawn, you know, comparisons to Vietnam War, which, you know, a lot of the films at the time did have this sort of connection to the Vietnam War. Uh, could you see that at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it feels like this is the story of a lot of, American imperialism post World War Two is that they enter a place with all of the weapons and with the expectation they're going to win on their side, and then they just lose because they don't understand the terrain, which comes with the fact that they go into this reactor and they can't use their weapons. They don't understand their 
the threat or the enemy, which is that they don't listen to Ripley when she says this thing is going to kill you, that it is terrifying and will kill you. And they expect to, and they go in with an expectation of winning. And that's kind of the story of a lot of uh, American incursions in foreign policy from Korea to Vietnam to any, any time they got into Iraq. It just, and to Afghanistan, of course, it's just that they, you can read that they don't quite anticipate what's going to happen. And that's here. Here it is just that these brash soldiers who have been sent in by their corporation, which is maybe that's the byword for the American government, to take out this threat when it's people there who are being killed who weren't meant to be there. They're colonizers. They weren't meant to be there. They end this planet to make it habitable and that's why it works so well as that metaphor and it's also it doesn't doesn't hit you hard in the face of the metaphor so it doesn't make the soldiers dislikable because we're on their side we're not on the xenomorph side but it does say look imperialist americans are going to do this and it's not going to end well for them and it's not dissimilar like an avatar that the soldiers in the in avatar like jake is is a soldier he is working for an armed force but they're not the enemy, but they are the enemy. They're like they're working for the wrong side, and so in Aliens, it's not that the it's not the Colonel Marines are the enemy. It's that we're meant to understand that they are um, underprepared, over they have too much equipment and not enough training for what they're going to do, and they probably should they they should probably listen to Ripley. <laughs> And yeah, I think that's also, I think, you know, James Cameron's clearly got a, <laughs> he, he likes to bring these sort of ideas about capitalism into his films and the big corporation are the bad guy hmm. appears a lot of it, especially between like Avatar and Aliens. And I think you're right in terms of like, you know, had they listened to the advice, had they gone in with that knowledge, things may have turned out different and i think it's the same you could look the same with avatar in terms of you know they've gone to this planet tried to steal the unobtainium and and uh have basically been like oh we should have listened to the people who knew about the planet and yeah. they would have helped us maybe uh we wouldn't have been booted off and it's it's even there in terminator 2 where skynet there is um someone who's experienced the cyborgs that come from the future and their response is to collect the, the debris, the arm of the robot, the half of the memory chip of it, and use it to create the robots. And it's like corporations are fairly badly represented within Cameron's films. They're not ever the good guy. They're always kind of the bad guy. And in this, it's that the corporation finds these um, Colonel Marines and Ripley and the colonizers expendable when it comes to the most precious thing that they have, which is this alien, which they've had brief experience with, and they see the potential there to weaponize it. But they will kill everyone. They'll kill the workers in the first one. They'll kill the colonists and the colonel marines in the second one. And the third one, they'll kill the prisoners. That's just what they'll do. I. Uh... Something, something about this I really enjoyed was how um, it wasn't afraid to go big with, especially with the guns. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was an element which I think it really took a new uh, lease of life with, uh, because Alien doesn't have a lot of, you know, they're they're having to fight with the bare basics. But in Aliens, you know, you've got people flamethrowers, you've got people with grenades and all sorts, 
And uh, a great little story I read was um, when they were filming this, um, the blanks from the the guns started doing damage to the adjacent set where they were filming Little Shop of Horrors. (laughs) Um, And I can only imagine Frank Oz's surprise as (laughs) holes started getting ripped through the walls. I'm sure yeah, it wouldn't it be quite that way, but I can I like to imagine it. And it is that one of the as well as adding more aliens, the creation of the Colonel Marines is a stroke of genius because as a teenage boy, could not have got more excited about watching a bunch of Marines in space with their weapons and all that was exciting. Like even this their spaceship looks like a gun. When you first see their spaceship, it's sleek like a gun, whereas in the first one it's very much like an oil rig in space almost that that's almost where the design for that one comes from and yeah their weapons are cool and you get that amazing scene right near the end where ripley is tooling up and it's almost as good as the commando tool up sequence in that she has guns she slaps in the bullet she slaps in the grenades she puts the um gaffer tape around them she puts them on her she puts grenades in her pockets all that stuff is is done so well and then I think what saves it from, I guess, some of the other 80s action films, which kind of glorify that kind of excess, is that at the same time, the people using said weapons can't use them when they most need them because they'll blow the entire place up and most of them get killed. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you there. That's one of the things that I really enjoy is that they're not not scared to kill off the people. And (laughs) they really, you know... Everyone's really roughed up by the end of this. Uh, poor, poor Bishop. He is having <laughs> the worst time at the end of this. Um, yeah, Bishop is ripped apart. Um, Hicks is... is They've given him drugs he'll pass out because he's got acid burning part of his body off. You've got... I mean, Ripley's pretty injured. And Hicks... Not Hicks. Newt is going to be super traumatised by this all. Yeah, I'm... In a way, I know obviously in the the sequels they they didn't really explore any further with um, Newt too much, did they? No, they won't. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I'm not a fan of Alien Three as much. I mean, I think there's some interesting stuff to it. Is that it starts by killing off Hicks and Newt, and um, I can can I understand Newt? I guess because I mean there is a gap, so I mean it's hard. Would be hard at the time for them to have a similar age actress. But the Hicks thing, I think it's because he wanted more money. And so they were just like, no, we're going to kill you off. Um, Rude. Give him the money. He well, they actually, but he got the money because they used his likeness in the film. So his um, his agent was a really good agent. He was like, no, you have to pay us now because you've used his likeness in this film. So he's still got the money. It's just, yeah, it means we get that. Because um, it, 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 you start Alien Free with a bad taste in your mouth because you really like Hicks and you really like Newt and you really like how they're developed and the journey they go on. And you like how that unit now exists at the end, because it is a sort of family by the end and that there is that kind of romantic tension between Ripley and Hicks. It's never really, it doesn't go to any anywhere, but it just exists. And obviously Newt becomes a surrogate daughter to Ripley and uh, Bishop redeems himself at the end. It doesn't need to, but he becomes her most important ally. And then at the start of the third one, Blow that up and make uh, Ripley depressed. I mean, because with the uh, the move from alien to aliens, um, I think 
and also actually you could probably say this for Terminator and to Terminator 2 and for Cameron's sequels is that he likes to explore the trauma that the protagonist has had to deal with in the last film <laughs> yeah and he deals with it very well um not in a oh this person's the best person ever now because they experience this it's always like this person has gone through way too much they really just need like a few years just to have a like nice holiday no stresses, no robots, no aliens, nothing. Just <laughs> let them rest. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like one of his great things is, and they're both female characters in those ones. So he's really good at exploring the trauma that that female characters go through in a satisfying way. I mean, I say this as, as a guy, so it's, it's maybe there are others who might have a different view. But from my perspective, like one of the things that makes Ripley and um, Sarah Connor so satisfying is because the journey they go on feels realistic and feels complicated and they become complicated characters because of it. So like in Terminator 2, Sarah Connor is, has lost most of her humanity by pursuing the agenda she does because she has seen the future and the future is terrifying and she's going to stop it if she can. Whereas Ripley has also seen something quite terrifying and has become almost so strong in her like determination to tell people no this threat is out there be careful that she's not being listened to i mean she's not being listened to i think because uh, the same gender issues exist in this kind of sci-fi as they do in our world which is that you're not going to listen to her because of who she is um yeah, yeah no it's great it's really great and a uh, cameron can be cameron can be a really interesting director when it comes to telling those stories yeah, I feel like he's not always the most subtle with his stories. That's fine. I don't need him to be. I kind of like that he's very like, here I am telling you that capitalism is bad. Here I am telling you it's bad to be traumatized by robots from the future. And, you know, like, it's all stuff that I'm very happy that he is able to just put out in front because it means that once those things are, like, plain and simple and clear to the audience, that they can just enjoy the rest of it without having to think oh like the you know there are deeper meanings that you can definitely read into and aliens is full of it um but i like that if you want to you can just sit and enjoy it because he does create these amazing like block busters which you can just uh enjoy for the spectacle of yeah they're, they're, they can be friday night films you can have a beer and your mates but also there can be academic papers on these because there is enough breadcrumbed in there there's enough that you could just focus in on of what it actually means that there is this corporation that keeps killing its workers to get to this one thing or like in Terminator, what does it mean? What does our relationship with cyborgs mean? What does it mean to all that? What does it mean that um, Sarah Connor's humanity is stripped away from her in her fight to stop uh, the terrible future from coming? There's all these themes that can be explored. Like as you brought up, aliens is a fairly effective metaphor for Vietnam, but it's also a really effective action sci-fi horror romp. Yeah, and it is able to be both, which I love. I love that it can be both. And I think um, we're lucky to have films like that, and especially blockbusters like that, because uh, sometimes you do get a blockbuster and sometimes all it is is it is a spectacle. And that's fine. I don't mind having ones that are just spectacles. That's just as enjoyable at times. Um but Cameron has proved that you can do both and it can make a lot of money for you too. 
I mean, it's it's like one of the greatest blockbusters of all time is Mad Max Fury Road. And Mad Max Fury Road is an incredible action film, but it's also a feminist tale. It's also such a fantastic exploration of toxic masculinity and of our relationship with the planet and how we're basically going to destroy it and what we're left with will be utterly terrifying. So some of the best blockbusters are ones that are you can tune out tune your brain out of and have a great time of but if you turn your brain on as well you'll get these hidden meanings or these meanings within it or these themes explored you're like oh okay this is interesting definitely so based on our talk of, of aliens how does that make you feel in terms of what this might mean for the new avatar film do you think that cameron's like experience with aliens and sequels is a good hint that avatar way of water is going to be a you know a step in the right direction or is it you know are we are we taking too many like hints and predictions from the past to predict the future um no i i think it's it's good to take these hints and predictions when you have someone like cameron who has made multiple sequels now that take what take something about the first one and explode it and reform it so aliens takes that single threat taking out a group of people explodes it out into lots of that singular threat but kind of reduces their power but not by much and then says well what if there are a lot of them what do you do then and then with terminator to terminator 2 he takes what was a really fascinating tech noir thriller that was gritty and urban and so much of that was just about one person hunting two people and explodes it out into the hugeness that is Terminator 2, which is that, again, a similar story of, you know, one threat hunting a group of people, but this time adds more vehicles, adds more action, adds bigger set pieces, adds more, 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 more to it. So I assume that with the second Avatar, what it will do is take what works in the first Avatar and explode it in some way, and then reattach it into the um into the avatar universe and my assumption is it will expand out what the lore is there i guess that because the guy's been working on these sequels because the thing about the avatar sequel is that it's not just one sequel it's that i think are there four planned or five uh i think in total it's up to five so yeah he's got plans for so many sequels it will be a bit like how in the fellowship of the ring we get introduced to the world we get introduced to this roster of characters to the fellowship to the various other threats and then various other lord of the rings expand what that world is expand out take us to new places it make the action even bigger and that's what i expect from avatar 2 that having watched aliens having watched terminator 2 having watched those a lot the lesson i take from them is that he takes a narrative aspect from the first explodes and expands it and then uh, reframes it makes it bigger but makes also connected in so like the thing about aliens is that while it isn't exploding out what alien is and exploding out the xenomorph it's still you can see the clear connection back to alien from this point so and same with terminator 2 so i think you'll get to avatar 2 and it'll be something bigger and expansive and interesting but also there'll be a clear connection back to avatar 
And I think that's what most people are wanting, really. They just want to see that world expanded upon because there is a lot that we kind of had hints of uh, from the first one. It felt like it was a very rich world that there was so much to left to explore of. And um, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing where he goes with it. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't really want to jump in too deep on spoilers for it because I want to I want to go into it fresh when it when it does come out. Yeah, and I, if if Cameron is is has his hands on the marketing, I imagine he'll keep the secrets. I imagine it will just be uh, we'll get reintroduced to the world through the marketing, but we won't be shown what's going to happen. That, that's my hope. I, the first <laughs> teaser was very good in terms of just give, giving you a little flavor, little reintroduction, a few little new things that we haven't seen before, but nothing that was so much where I was like, oh, I didn't want to see this before I saw it on the big screen. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of trailers now that just seem to tell me what the film is. I've tried to limit the trailers I watch. I mean, I've watched the Avatar 2 trailer big teaser because I had faith I wouldn't be told what the film is. But yeah, I seem to watch a lot of trailers and be like, okay, so it's going to end at this point. And and just before we sort of wrap things up a little bit, I want to talk about a few of the sort of main moments from Aliens. Um, there are definitely a few standout ones, and I'm curious which you would consider like maybe a top two or three like moments from Aliens. Uh, how to pick the first? Uh, um... Put you on the spot. There. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm just trying to go back from my experience of watching it. So uh, if I go in chronological order. Um, I think the first hour is great, but there isn't a moment in the first hour that will probably make it. It would be that journey to find the survivors to and the first encounter between the Colonel Marines and the Xenomorphs is such a tense sequence. And it's our first time that we kind of see the expansion of the understanding of the Xenomorph because we see how they've caked the walls in like whatever that substance is that makes them blend in. So they've, they've turned it into their environment. We meet a, in quotation marks, one of the survivors who then has a chest burster moment. So we get a chest burster moment in that. And it's all building slowly, slowly, slowly towards the point where the Marines meet, <laughs> meet the Xenomorphs. Most of them get taken out rather horribly or get dragged off by Xenomorphs. And then Ripley comes in and takes charge and she drives that wonderful vehicle in, smashes her way through and rescues people. And that's a great sequence because it A, shows what the threat is uh, and B, shows how great a character Ripley is and how great a performance Scorny Weaver's performance is. So there are moments in the first act, first hour I could have picked because of her performance. But this is such a fantastic performance from her, such an interesting one that she's able to be fragile and broken, but also determined and in, able to take charge. So that, that there's that moment. Um, there's the bit where they are... So they kind of get themselves in a room and they, they seal off all the exits and entrances and they stay in that room and somehow the alien gets in and they don't know how it is. And it's just that moment where we've had uh, Hudson shout about how they're they're in the room the beeper is going off and then they lift up the grate and you just see the alien crawling on the ceiling and it's utterly terrifying that's one of the most terrifying shots of the entire film is when you see all of them above them and it's just it's really scary yeah see, seeing all those ones just crawling along and <laughs> thinking if i was in that situation I, that'd be it for me i 
I mean, I would not have made it this far through anyway. Um, yeah, they, they seem they seem like they've reached the end of the film at that point. It's going to end in five minutes and all dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You sort of yeah, they they put them in these situations where you're like, I don't know how you're surviving this. You are holding on by a thread, <laughs> and and I think probably one of the main ones is probably the moment right at the end where Ripley gets herself in her uh, in her little mech armor. Uh, yeah, and it's, that's kind of like loves the mech armor. And it's like a really fascinating combination. So we're showing the mech armor fairly early on. We're shown that uh, Ripley is trained to use it and can use it. And that this impresses some of the Marines because she says, I want to help. And she puts this thing on and she works. And it's like this aspect that I think is kind of uh, almost forgotten about the first two Alien films, which is that Sigourney, Car- Sigourney Weaver's character is, is, a, uh, is a worker. And that's all she is. And so... That's why she's still part of the corporation in the second one. And that's how she can use this thing. So it, it sets up that she can use this uh, mech armor. We've been introduced to the alien queen who is utterly terrifying. We think that they've got away. We've had that wonderful score. We've, they've nuked the place from above. Well, they haven't nuked it, but it's blown up in a nuclear explosion. And it seems like all is well and they've reached their happy ending. And then the queen emerges, rips apart Bishop newt crawls away and tries to hide and ripley straps on this mech armor and fights this monster and it's kind of a repeat of the first one in that uh the way to get rid of the alien is to shoot it out into space which i think they also do in the fourth one as well so it's kind of this like repetition we get in some alien films that they just shoot the monster out into space but it's done so well here and it's so exciting it's like one thing we haven't talked about is how great the special effects are in this film because they are all practical and they look incredible because I mean, we're almost 40 years past this film coming out. Goodness. Yeah, it's uh, so long. It, 36? So Gosh, it was 86 30. it came out and it, 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 I think it's... 36 it, it, years ago and that, that you know, God. those effects <laughs> do hold up. And frankly, the fact that it's so practical. Yeah. Those aliens become so much more terrifying. You know, we've seen the cgi versions of these aliens in the more recent ones with you know um were they they weren't practical in prometheus were they uh so i think that since the third one they've used cgi not always but there's been practical in, to an extent but since alien 3 there's been an aspect of cgi to them and i think they've lost their luster since that point because they become cleaner and they become sh- shinier whereas in in this, I mean, the main change I think from aliens to alien, from alien to aliens, is they become almost bulkier in this. They become almost like uh, drones and grunts. Yeah. But then, yeah, we get that that alien queen, and that, as a practical effect, is terrifying. She is terrifying, and has personality and has emotion. And that's the other thing that this film does. It gives the alien some emotion by having her scream when. Ripley is destroying the eggs, which you know, right to do so. The eggs are terrifying, and we don't want those anywhere near us. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, the practical effects, particularly by that finale when it's the uh, mecha suit versus the xenomorph queen, is just incredible. Yeah, definitely the practical effects like give that weight to it in terms of you can you can really feel the scale of that <laughs> the queen. She look she towers over them. And it's when the queen's coming out of the elevator, the other elevator, which she cleverly operates. 
<laughs> you know, she she's used that elevator before. <laughs> she's pulling herself out, and she's so big. Like you know, Ripley and Newt have just come out of the other one, and they're and just regular sized people coming out of there. And the queen the sounds and being emitted from thing. her are terrifying. Like yeah. she makes these sounds, you're like, that's really impressive. Like it takes like the alien sounds and make them even scarier. And and also the other thing that's in this finale is that Ripley is not a perfect um, hero. She makes it's not that she makes mistakes. She's clearly doing all the stuff for the first time, and like so that's there. Like as she's like trying to work out what to do, and then it, she gets grabbed by alien and pulled down into the shoot with her and so has to crawl up and is grabbed by in all this stuff it feels like she's just just about able to do it yeah definitely and i feel like some of the action heroes of that 80s periods they were too clean and able to just do everything perfectly the first time you know uh arnie definitely had like a habit of it at times <laughs> where he was running yeah. through armies of people and it looked it didn't wreck a sweat uh, he looked like he'd done it a hundred times before and he probably had. Uh, but this, it did feel like she she is experiencing this all for the first time. And I think that's really down to Sigourney Weaver in that she gives such a good physicality to Ripley in terms of um, trying to match against this alien. And also, you know, um, she's having to be that final girl again. Uh, but changing from just being a final girl to not only having to look after herself, but now having someone else to look after. You know, she probably doesn't, I'd say by the end of Aliens, she's more worried about the safety of Newt than herself. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and it is this thing that Sigourney Weaver's performance in all four Alien films she's in is are, are fantastic. Whatever the quality of the rest of the film, the, the performance of Sigourney Weaver at the centre is fantastic, as it is here. And she kind of, she did her, she develops really interestingly, particularly in this film. And what we see opened up about the character in this film is really interesting. And as you say, by the end, it's not about her. It's about Newt. It's about saving Newt. And that's why she is doing all she can to kill the alien queen. Plus, you know, I mean, she has not had a good time with the xenomorph. She's going to kill their mum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so... Uh, is there much else that you feel like uh, we haven't covered yet for Aliens? Uh, I feel like we've gone through quite a lot of the the big aspects of it, but I feel like really screamed James Cameron to me in terms of like his style, what he loves to show in his films. I mean, yeah, this. I mean, this is amazing that this is his third film. His third film is a sequel to one of the biggest sci-fi horrors ever made, and that he makes a film that is its equal. And then he makes a film that's interesting and he makes a film that's been copied by TV, film, games ever since it came out. Like I've, I've played a lot of games where you get those kind of Colonel Marine-like characters pop in. I swear Half-Life have done it a number of times. Um, yeah, I just, as a James Cameron film, this is one of his greatest in a career that has had many, many impressive films. Like his ability to have his kind of tone and feel within a studio picture even though this is probably his first big studio picture like that's like because Piranha 2 was not a big studio picture it was a studio picture but it wasn't a big studio and Terminator the Terminator was an independent film that was <laughs> like an independent film money. that could um, and this is his first studio picture and he not only survives it but thrives in it and that's sort of why I guess he has been able to make the scope and scale of films 
he has since. It's because of this. It's because in the first time he did it for a studio, he knocked out of the park. <laughs> and like the, the story is that this was not a fun shoot, but apparently the crew hated him. And, you know, I mean, Cameron has an abrasive personality. Um, but the, the but what we get is a really fantastic sci-fi epic. Definitely. I feel, and as you said, I don't think anyone has fun on a James Cameron shoot, it sounds like. Certainly not <laughs> Certainly not back in the day. I think more recently he's uh, lightened up a little bit. I think he's, uh, maybe maybe it's because he can do it at his own pace nowadays. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, like, because like Avatar, and we didn't mention this, Avatar was, the amount of money Avatar made, it, it gave Fox a profit for that year. Fox took, Avatar took a not great year for Fox and made it great. That's how much money it made. And so he's been allowed the time to make these Avatar sequels because he made, is it is it still the biggest film ever made or is it the second biggest now? I think it's hard to say. I feel like officially it's the second biggest, but, you know, there's talks like, you know, if you count, <laughs> you know, they're going to do a re-release in September for Avatar sure. and I feel so like it's that's going to be the pushing point. But so it's made ridiculous amounts of money and he can spend the time and there aren't that time constraints that his other films had, which is, I think, part of it of why like Titanic was a hellish shoot was because they were up against a deadline, whereas there doesn't seem to be deadlines for the Avatar sequels. They can just go at the pace they need to go to. Yeah, because I, I, from what I understand, they've already filmed, uh, obviously they finished two, and I believe they've also finished a lot of three. Uh, they've, they've been working on that basically simultaneous, uh, simultaneously. And there might be stuff before they've already shot. So, you know, they're, they're well ahead of time if they're planning to release these, you know, once every two years. Uh, and I think they've got an alleged budget of about quarter of a quarter of a billion each. I think, I think it's like each. Doing, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I go each. I mean, apparently Top Gun Maverick was $300 million. So the cheap, th- cheap movie I then. Th- I think that's just where blockbusters have got to is that they'll spend a lot of money on them now. <laughs> <laughs> but at least with you know, I I feel like Top Gun's actually a good example in that you can see where that budget's gone. Um, I, I honestly <laughs> yeah, believe yeah. that looks like a three hundred million dollar movie. Um, and I'm I'm sure I'm going to be the same with the Avatar ones. Uh, you know, there's some of the other movies which you see the budgets for, and you're like, how? Where's this money gone on it? I feel like you're talking about Red Notice there. That was I, I did not say that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you know, actually, I, I did watch Red Notice a few weeks ago, and it's fine. <laughs> not great it's not 200 it's million dollars oh no no definitely not that 200 million dollars <laughs> went solely on the <laughs> on the actors yeah they must have really good catering <laughs> really good catering <laughs> um yeah like i i think that's the thing you can say of all cameron films is that they are really expensive films but it so much of it's on screen like he shoots these films and they look phenomenal i mean aliens looks phenomenal Terminator 2 looks phenomenal. The Titanic. Not Titanic. Titanic looks phenomenal. They all look like all the money has been spent for what we get on screen. Yeah, it's nice to have that feeling of seeing exactly what the money is spent on rather than wondering where it all went. And uh, I, you know, I commend Cameron for that in a way to really push that and push the innovation of his films as well. Um, Aliens. It's maybe not the most innovative of his, I, you know, actually it is because it has such like a, a solid basis to work off of with the first Alien film. 
it doesn't need to innovate too much in terms of tech and everything like that. But then you look and move forward to like Terminator 2 and then he's he is full on going crazy with like new VFX <laughs> and everything. And, you know, he, he really is taking that to new levels, I feel like. Because, I mean, like on Avatar, didn't they invent new ways of doing uh, motion capture yeah, for the, it? The new one, they've invented underwater motion capture, which is incredible <laughs> to me. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how the water moves. Um, you'd hope with a film that has water in the title, the water better look good. And a guy who has spent decades in a submarine now just exploring the sea, you would hope he has done it well. If if I ever get a chance to interview him, I really want to like find out how like what he thinks time wise he spends it, like underwater compared to above water because <laughs> it's probably a very high percentage that we would be shocked to hear um so yeah i think that's actually probably a good point for us to kind of uh finish up unless there is anything else you feel like you want to uh shout out to the world about avatar uh so avatar and aliens are both on disney plus so you should go and watch both because uh i mean if you listen to a podcast about avatar or aliens, you probably want to watch both. I'd be very surprised if if people haven't seen it already. <laughs> if I'm honest, well, uh, even if you, even if you've seen it, see it again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what? And I I feel like Avatar is actually a great example of one of those ones where you will go in with uh, your fresh eyes of having you know a few, you know, maybe even up to a decade's worth of of a different world of cinema that you've experienced, and you might look at Avatar in a different way than you did back then. Okay, so I think we will wrap ourselves up for then. Uh, Russell, where would people be able to find you best? Uh, so you can find we can find my podcast, Not Just For Kids, on wherever you're listening to this. We're on all the podcast providers. Uh, we release at l- least one episode a week right now. Currently, when I'm recording this, it's two, but I'm going to try and drop it down back to one. And we have been covering musicals, and we're about to go off and do... The last 20 years of Western animation, which is about 40 episodes, I think I've got it planned as, which is a lot of lot of films. Uh, so that's where you can find the podcast. You can find me uh, at Russ Loves Movies on uh, Twitter. That's where I post uh, any podcast appearances like this, my own podcast, any reviews I write, over, I write occasionally for a couple of places and just random stuff I post. Uh, yeah, come find me there. Lovely. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope you've uh, enjoyed your little journey, well, through the world of aliens today. (laughs) No, it's been great. Really great fun. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And uh, for me, we're here at at Avatar Pod on Twitter. That'll be the best place to find us. Uh, We've been, I've been Sean Alexander for the Road to Avatar Sivako podcast. And oh, I've got one final thing, Russell. You never know, this might be uh, interesting for you. I'm asking every single guest, if you by any chance get to go to the premiere of uh, Avatar The Way of Water in December, I'm asking every guest to invite me as their plus one. Uh, (laughs) Because if I ask every single guest, someone will get me there. I'm sure of it. So I'm I'm putting that on you. (laughs) If I I somehow get a ticket, and I'm not... I'm not sure how that would happen, but if it happened, you absolutely can come with me. That's and it. I'll I'm just really annoy it... that one friend. I'm just putting it on everyone, so eventually <laughs> I will get a ticket if I don't end up there myself. Maybe you never know. James Cameron might really like podcasts. 
And James, if you're listening, we love your stuff. We really do. We really do. <laughs> so uh, that's all from me. Uh, thank you very much. And hope you uh, enjoyed the show. <laughs>